It's time for the moment you've been waiting for. You're listening to Getting Bullied, a Flyers hockey podcast. Now crank it up and rip the knob. Boy, that escalated quickly. Podcast partner of phillyisflyer.com. This is Getting Bullied. I am the host with the most, Mark Genome. Join as always by the great writer of Philly is Flyer, my partner in crime, Mr. Dan Silver. Dan, what's going on, my friend? Not much, man. I was just looking on Twitter, like uh, videos or photos the Flyers were posting of the, the rink. They've got all the advertisements on the ice, and it just it, it makes me excited. We're, we're getting close, man. We're getting close to the season. Yeah, they're adding more uh, ads now and more advertisements to the ice surface, so it's going to start to look like a uh, a Euro, like a European yeah. league soon enough. That's, and the Chick Chick Fil A ad made me hungry, so there was that happened too. Right, right. All right, Dan. Well, we're not alone today. Uh, we've teased it a lot on Twitter, and this episode again, more prospect talk, and who better? to bring on as a special guest with us for the entire episode than from The Athletic, Mr. Alex Appleyard. Alex, how are you? I'm very well, and I'm glad to be on the show, Mark. Glad to be on the show, Matt. That's awesome. Well, we are very excited to have you. So real quick, I just want you, I mean, we went over it a little bit before we you know, started recording this, but kind of give all the fans that are listening here a little bit of a background on yourself, how you became a Flyers fan from across the pond uh, in Europe. Um, well, uh, since I was really young, I've always been into sports. My first love was soccer and Manchester City. And um, then from there... Um, my dad was really into American sports, played American football, so there used to be in the mid-90s the highlight packages that we got in the UK, so I watched a few of those from hockey. And at the same time, Manchester Storm were one of the best ice hockey teams in the UK. They had a lot of money behind them and were bringing in NHL players, and we also had an 18,000-seat arena. And they just couldn't sell it out, so they gave out free tickets to schools. I went along to a few games for free and kind of fell in love with the sport. And then from there, my dad started uh, recording more and more of the NHL highlight packages. And I saw Eric Lindros on one of the packages when I was maybe six years old. And it just like he became my sporting hero from that moment forward, combining that skill and the size and being able to beat up everyone. And, and as a six year old, that was very appealing. And from then on, the Flyers were my team. That's awesome. Well, you know, Mark, it's, it's really amazing how we had Johan Gartner on earlier this year. And, right. you know, to me, Alex and, and Johan are two of the, the main Flyers fans that I know overseas from Twitter. And, both of them have sort of the same experience with Eric Lindrop. And it's amazing how much, and he's my favorite flyer of all time. It's amazing how much uh, Eric Lindros kind of represents the flyers and like embodies everything about them and was such a great hockey player that, you know, he sort of brought all these fans from around the world. It speaks to the marketing that's possible when you have a player like that. Absolutely. And, you know, he made not only, you know, overseas and everything like that, but even here in the States, the, you know, the kids that grew up playing baseball or whatever, they saw him and fell in love with hockey. So that was the type of player he was. But we have a jam-packed episode here uh, on tap. Uh, a lot of prospect talk. The bulk of this episode is going to be diving even deeper into the huge prospect pool that the Flyers have. Uh, we're going to be comparing Alex and Dan's top 20 lists, as well as uh, the list from other uh, people who cover the team. And 
stuff like that. And then, of course, Dan put out the uh, a tweet earlier to have you guys ask questions. There were a few sent in. Dan will get to those later in the show. So there's a lot to cover here today. And the big news uh, coming last week, about middle of the week, was the re-injury of Sean Couturier's knee, that MCL sprain that he suffered at the end of the season, in oh, I'm sorry, well, in the playoffs, obviously that freak accident in practice when he collided with Radko Gudis, and he played through it in the series against the Penguins, re-injured it, I believe it was a couple weeks ago in some sort of tournament or something, whatever he was doing, and now uh, the prognosis is four weeks he will be out. The return date is, I believe, the fourth preseason game is what I saw. Um, so, Alex, I'll start with you. Um, you know, guests go first, obviously. Uh, what does this mean for the Flyers in training camp and preseason, trying to get their groove, trying to, you know, build some cohesiveness with their first-line center being injured for a few weeks here? I mean, my initial thought um, is that I don't think it'll cause maybe as much problems as some some of the media outlets have kind of referred to it as. Uh, you know, he was injured on August the 10th, I believe. Uh, camp opens on the 14th of September, and the first preseason game is the 16th. And, but obviously, usually the first maybe three preseason games are the split squad games or trying the younger prospects out, giving them a chance of what it feels to skate in an NHL jersey with some NHL players. So, the, I mean, the fifth game is on the 21st versus the Islanders, and there are three games after that. And if he can be available for maybe two or three preseason games towards the end, you know, he's only really going to be missing maybe one or two preseason games in comparison to what he would usually play since those early games are prospect related. So, so long as the knee itself is actually fundamentally sound again and recovered, um, I don't really see it being a speed bump for the Flyers in their preparation for the season. Mm-hmm. Dan, you expressed um, when we saw the injury come down in the Phillies Flyer group chat, you expressed some a lack of trust, I guess would be a fair way to put it, for the Flyers, um, for their medical staff. Obviously, this is an injury he had before. They let him play through it. They let Wayne Simmons play through his injuries all last season, and you saw what that did to his play. So how big of a concern is the Flyers' medical staff in handling this injury to such an important player? I mean, look, I have, for the most part, confidence in their medical staff to handle injuries, although I think that the way that Wayne Simmons' situation was handled last year was a disgrace, why he didn't have surgery or whatever he needed early in the season, and they just kind of let it fester. Uh, Just deferring to the players' wishes to be a warrior uh, was kind of ridiculous. But, you know, listen, the Couturier thing's been frustrating and aggravating from the start because it began in a non-contact drill in practice where, for whatever reason, Gudis and Couturier were not aware of where each other was. I don't know if it was a poorly designed drill or what it was. Uh, but because of that, those two collided. Couturier, you know, throws his stick in disgust. He's clearly injured. He, he's still like our best player in the in the ensuing game against the Penguins. I don't know what did he put up, four or five points. But so and they, they come out and say, okay, you know, it's just an, M, it's an MCL sprain. He's going to be, you know, it's a, it's a four to six week recovery. So, okay, that's fine. Everyone thinks everything's good. Then we get this scare, and first, it wasn't reported by the Flyers. It was reported by, I think, a Canadian news outlet because Couturier was playing in a, a charity game or a pickup game up there, and the report was that he'd re-injured the, the, the same knee. So then all of a sudden, the Flyers go into like panic mode and like defend mode from a PR perspective, and the next day, Hextall comes out and says, 
No, no, no. He did not. Re- it was not a re-injury. The original injuries healed. This was a different injury where he was making a turn and he kind of, you know, tweaked it. And it's only a what you know four-week recovery period. So, look, I, I trust the Flyers' medical staff to 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 take care of the situation and make sure that Couturier is not playing if he shouldn't be for the most part. But, you know, if you don't want to have your number one center and arguably most important player on the team having an injury like this going into the season. And if indeed it is, it is a separate injury to the same knee, then you've got it. Because Couturier had an injury to the other knee what, like three years ago. So then you have to start wondering like, okay, well, is this guy, is this guy, to be a, a continuing issue with him with the, the knee problem. So, like, it wasn't ideal. I think there's definitely some right to be concerned. I think you can really believe what the Flyers put out publicly in terms of injuries, but it does sound like he's going to be ready for the start of the season. So, it's not getting it off on the right knee for him, but, um, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? So, it's it's hopefully he's fine for the start of the season, and hopefully he, he picks up where he left off last season. And my only concern with this is um it's just it's just bad timing. He's going to miss a good chunk of preseason um and then and training camp and it, my only concern is how he's going to bounce back once the season starts if he's going to be, you know, physically where he should be or where he's used to being at that point in the season. I just don't want, you know, any lingering effects to carry over into the regular season in those first couple games. Um, where he should, you know, where you hope that he is going to be one of the top guys and you hope the Flyers can start hot and, you know, jump out to a good start during the season. So, I mean, I, I guess that's all up to, you know, the player and his body and how well he responds to the treatments and whatever therapies they give him. So I guess at this point it all remains to be seen, um, but it's not catastrophic. It could be a lot worse. Thankfully, it was, you know, it's something that they caught I don't want to say caught early because it's not like a life-threatening disease or anything, but it's something that happened, you know, far enough away from training camp where he should be somewhat, you know, close to 100% once the season starts going. But let's just roll this conversation right into our conversation about the prospects that I know you guys both know so well. So if he can't, if for some reason he can't start the season at, um, you know, at the first line center for the Flyers, they have a couple of prospects that could make the team as a center, not necessarily on the first line. Obviously, there's going to have to be some shuffling going on. So, Alex, if he can't start the season, is there a prospect that you see that could make the jump and make this team out of camp uh, because of the injury to Couturier? I mean, the obvious person that I think everyone hopes he's ready for the NHL is Frost. Uh, the kid's an electric talent with amazing skating, a good IQ, fantastic passing ability, and a good shot. And he's so aware defensively. I mean, the the issue there is, is do the Flyers think he's ready? And is he actually physically ready to play in the NHL? Um, I think from a skills perspective, he's there. You know, you look at what he did last year in the OHL, and you look at what Travis Konechny did just a few years before, and... There's a very good argument to be made that Morgan Frost was more impressive in the same league at the same age as Travis Konechny. But center is a more difficult position to transition to, especially at such a young age. And while he did dominate the CHL, um, the OHL, um, I think the Flyers will, you know, he'll have to really blow them away at camp to get a job just like Konechny did. 
the one positive for him in terms of Couturier being injured is I think he might get an extra game with the big guns to show that. You know, um, with Couturier out, obviously, it's Nolan Patrick as the centre, first-line centre. Um, and after that, really, the next in the pecking order was Scott Lawson in terms of the established players. So you think he'd get um, a top-six role in maybe three, possibly four preseason games wow. if he if he shows. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the perfect case scenario in terms of you have a skilled guy coming in and playing on your third line to start of the year. But I'm not sure how how plausible that is right now. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, go ahead, Dan. Yeah, I mean, I would. So I, I love, I love Morgan Frost. He's, he's one of my favorite prospects on the Flyers. I have number two on my list. I, I would pr- probably go a different direction if. Uh, if Katerni is going to be out for any substantive amount of time, or if he just can't start the season with the Flyers, so so first let me say, you know, on Morgan Frost, that the difference between Morgan Frost and Mikhail Vorobiev, who's the guy that I would see as as the quote unquote replacement Katerni, is that Frost can can go back to the Canadian juniors. So if you you know if you're under 20 years old, you have to be either in the NHL or the Canadian juniors if you were drafted out of the canadian juniors which frost was so you know there's a point of talking about how frost is needs to mature physically to make the team and it's they basically set it up for him to go back to the juniors and i will say that i mean frost was a runner-up mvp in the ohl he had a phenomenal year we're going to talk about the world junior championship summer showcase a little later in the show I was not that impressed with Frost's play in the summer showcase, which kind of said to me, you know what, maybe he he does need another season in the OHL. Um, we'll get to that a little bit later. But to me, Mikhail Vorobiev, who I had number eight on my list, is almost a, a carbon copy of Sean Couturier, except without the offensive game. So Vorobiev is a big Russian center, who made his AHL debut last year. And he had a, I'd say he had a pretty good first season uh, in the AHL last year. And he was a, uh, he was a fourth round pick in 2015. He's 6'2", 2'10". He led the world junior championships in six a couple of years ago. With not, I mean, the list of players that have done that is, is not very long. And it's mainly guys that have excelled in the NHL. Um, of all the Flyers' center prospects, he is the most prototypical center of them. Big, strong, very good defensively, is a terrific playmaker. Um, and so for me, I think that Mikhail Vrobiev is very close to the NHL ready. And he's a guy that you could plug into the lineup as a second or third line center if Couturier is going to be out for a little while and he could do similar things, he would not hurt you defensively. He's going to help set up some of the top wingers that the flyers have. So that's where I would go. I mean, look, quite honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing Barovia start the season with the flyers regardless. I think he would be a very good fourth line center for this team, but I understand that he may need another season or half season of, of seasoning in the age, but he's the guy that I would have in the lineup, uh, if Couturier is injured, unless Frost is really, really good in training camp. Right. I think that's completely fair. I mean, 
from my perspective with Robiev, I would also love him to make the team as a fourth-line centre. Quite frankly, I think he's probably the best player for that role right now. But in terms of the flyers and their decision-making, as we've seen, I think if it was, Couturier's going to miss five or six games to start the season. I think they'd be far more likely not to just bring him up that period. I think they'd rather leave him in the AHL and give him the time in the AHL to mature even more. And they'd, I feel like the most likely scenario if Couturier was going to miss four or five games or something like that would be that they'd simply go Patrick, Lawton, Wheel, and then a fourth-line centre of either Letera or Vecchione. I think that's the most likely short term. And if it was longer term, say it's you know a more serious injury than they thought, and he would miss say 15 games or so, I think the likelihood is they'd just move Giroud back to centre shortly. I mean, hopefully we don't have to come to any scenarios. Yeah, I think from the Flyers' perspective, if it's like Alex said, if this was a serious thing, if they expected him to miss a larger chunk of time, then it'd be a lot more likely they're going to bring up or they're going to let these guy, one of these guys, make the team out of camp rather than just leave them in the in the AHL or their respective league to just further their progression and their learning at that level. Um, I don't think nobody expects this to be a long injury for Couturier. Unless there, you know, there's some unforeseen setback, I think what Alex says is probably likely. Uh, when I hear, you know, when obviously Patrick starting as your first line center, you know, that's the only name that gives you any kind of confidence at the position. But when you're throwing out Lawton, Wheel, Letaria, Vecchioni as the guys that would follow him in that role uh, for the subsequent totally. lines, it's not. It doesn't. Give I don't get excited to hear that. So obviously, Sean Couturier starting the season healthy and you know playing well for the Flyers is going to be huge for them to start the season and to start because they can't if they come out slow, who who knows what could happen go, moving forward. But them starting out fast and them coming and you know really starting strong is it's imperative to them. And Couturier is obviously he's established himself as one of the best players on this team. And they need him because his replacements and the guys that come after him are not strong. Yeah, I think there's an argument to be made, even though Giroud was runner-up in the scoring race last year in the NHL, that Sean Couturier was the team's most valuable forward, really. I mean, he drives players absolutely, is one of the best penalty killers in the NHL. Fantastic even point producer. You know, he showed that for two years before this season, that when he was given... You know, arguably third-line level wingers, he was still producing at um, what you'd expect from a first-line player at 5v5. So, yeah, it would be a big loss, but um, I personally think he will start the season, and it shouldn't really affect him. Mm-hmm. More than likely, that's probably the case. All right, Dan, you um, you put together an awesome spreadsheet on Twitter. You sent it out for everybody, and it compared five uh, top prospect lists, one from yourself, one from Alex, Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic and uh, Broad Street Hockey, Corey Prom of The Athletic, and I'm going to butcher this name, but Steve Cornianos, is that Seth. right? I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. All right, so why don't you just kind of, I'll let you kind of take over here, kind of introduce everything, and um, there's the top five on pretty much all five of these lists have that same core group of guys that we all know, all the top guns as far as the Flyers prospects go. There's one list in here. Uh, that is pretty, very different from the other four. Uh, so why don't you just kind of introduce this and your methodology for doing it this way? Okay, well, well, first, let me say, and I'm sure Alex will have a chance to uh, to <laughs> pump them tires a little later on with the athletic. But, I, you know, the, the 
a subscription to the athletics for any flyers fan or any sports fan is an absolute must it's like three bucks a month which mm-hmm. is insanely low when you think about it i mean it's the cost it's half of a beer at a bar or a sporting event the content that they put out is just incredible i mean all year, Charlie and Alex are putting out content on the Flyers. Charlie's, you know, recapping every game. Uh, um, Alex is working on prospect stuff. And then you've got Corey Prodman, who does a really good job. Uh, he's not in the Flyers fans' good graces right now because he had his 12th on the list of teams. But he does a really good job in trying to follow every team's prospects, which is really, really difficult. So right now, The Athletic is far and away, for me, the top sports site out there. And so I got to recommend to our followers to to definitely get a subscription to that. There's so much great content. Um, And so, so moving on to the prospects. So, you know, what I did was I put out my top 20 prospects updated after the NHL draft. Um, I know um, Alex and Charlie put out their own prospect list, which was mid July. Um, And Corey just put out his Flyers prospect list. And then Steve Corneano's put out his. So I just wanted to compare and contrast them a little bit. And I posted that on Twitter. And and we can just, you know, we'll go down some of the lists. Um, You know, I think that the number one guy on the list for me, Alex, and Charlie was was Carter Hart. And Corey had him fourth, mainly because Corey doesn't rank any Flyers, any, any goalie prospects high. He said that Carter Hart would be between his second and fifth goaltending prospect uh, in in the world if he had to rank goalie prospects. Wow. But, you know, I figured we'll, we'll go down the list. We'll talk about our top five. I'm actually the only one who didn't Oscar Lindblom in the top five. We can talk about that a little bit. Um, but we go down, we'll talk about our top five or so, then some of the discrepancies we've got. Uh, talk about some of the additional guys. I know Alex loves David Cache, always has. And so I like giving him uh, grief about that on Twitter, but I want to hear him talk about uh, David Cache for a little bit. But um, so yeah, I mean, you know, Carter Hart, number one, he's the guy that Flyers fans are all looking to as kind of like the savior organization. And you look at it, and it's, the, you know, the reasons are twofold. One is that this organization has never had luck with goalies i mean you talk about ever since bernie Perron, it's just been it's been misery with these goalies i mean from the tragic death of pelly Lindbergh, who looked like he was going to become one of the greats in the game you know to our own gm ron hextall who started out phenomenally and then sort of towards the end of his career has given up horrible goals and and they just recently they just haven't been able to find a good goaltender to plus you throw in things like they had Sergei Bobrovsky, who's won multiple Vezina trophies, but they end up trading him away so that they can sign Ilya Brzgalov to a long-term contract, and that was a disaster. So this team's goaltending history has been a disaster. Now you insert Carter Hart. Talk about what Carter Hart has done. I mean, he's been playing in the Canadian Juniors, and you could argue that he's had the greatest career in the history of the Canadian juniors of any goalie. He's the only Canadian juniors goalie to win goalie of the year twice. He's the only goalie to win the WHL, which is the league that he played in. Uh, he's the only goalie to win goalie of the year three times in that league. And the gold medal for team Canada at the world junior championships. He puts up, he put up video game numbers last year. I mean, his goals against average last year, 
was uh, 1.60, and its save percentage was 947. I mean, we're talking about almost a full goal uh, better than the goalie that came behind him. Uh, he Carter Hart has, has basically just obliterated any type of CHL goalie records that are out there, and he's finally turning pro. So he's 20 years old. He's probably going to start the season with the Phantoms. You're going to have a lot of Flyers fans clamoring him, clamoring for him to be with the Flyers, especially if he uh, has a good start in the AHL, and we know that Michael Neuberg and Brian Elliott can't stay healthy. So, you know, Flyers fans are going to start clamoring for this guy to be on the team. The only, you know, wrench in the situation is that goalie prospects are very hard to predict. There are a lot of very good Canadian goalies who came into the NHL and just could not deal with the speed of the NHL. They had a tough time adapting to the professional game, and it never worked out for them. I think Carter Hart is is about as uh, about as of a lock of a goalie as there is out there who's not in the NHL, but you just never know. So, you know, I think we, you know, we had him as the consensus number one, me, Alex, and what Charlie had. And the Flyers fans are just extremely excited to see him turn pro this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously he's the top dog out there. Everyone is really excited for him. Alex, as I look at your list and I look at Dan's list and Charlie's as well, uh, a name that, I don't want to say jumps out at me, but a name that I notice is on all three of yours and neither of the other two is uh, kind of, I mean, he's midway on the list, but I think he's a guy that maybe we haven't heard too much about. And that's kind of what I wanted to get into a lot of in this episode are guys, you know, outside of that top tier that maybe aren't talked about as much and got, and fans aren't as familiar with the guy I'm talking about, you, you and Dan both have ranked 16th on your list and that's Linus Hogberg. What do you like about him that puts him on your list, and why do you think that he was maybe left off of some of the other ones? Um, well, Linus Hogby is he's a fantastic young player. In terms of his ability at this level and the level he's been playing at the last season, uh, he was Planet uh, Vecra in the SAL, who were, there's an argument to be made that outside of NHL teams and a couple of KHL teams, they were the best team outside of those teams in the world last year. They're a fantastic club that just, an immense amount of depth and at times in the season he played in their top four on defense and looked unfazed unfussed uh, he's a great skater in all directions he's moving laterally very well can skate backwards very well great stick um fantastically high defensive iq he's in a league with an immense amount of good players he's playing against internationals ex-nhlers every week and he just very rarely looks phased defends his blue line well i mean i think part of the reason he's not high up some other people's list is simply because, you know, you look at his offense and I think some people kind of question the offensive upside there. However, uh, I mean, he's never, you know, if he makes the NHL, he's not going to be a massive point producer, but he does have some offensive ability. He's a strong passer of the puck. Um, and at junior level, he was a, a very good scorer and could uh, run a power play as well. Uh, he's just kind of a prototypical, I would say, modern day um I don't really want to give him the moniker of defensive defenseman. I think that's unfair to him. He does have some offensive ability. But in the NHL, he's the kind of guy who, you know, if he can continue to grow at the rate he has over the last two years, he's going to be a fantastic number four, five defenseman who PKs for you, plays heavy minutes against good opposition, um, and can move a puck, which I think is essential in today's NHL. He can 
skate out of the zone and he can pass out of the zone. And he rarely gets caught in his own zone for uh, elongated periods of time. And I think that's what really marks him out for me as someone who has a great chance to be to have out a very good NHL career. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan, you touched on it, and I wanted to go back um, <clears throat> just because you had mentioned it. Oscar Lindblom's not in your top five, and he is literally fifth on all other all the other lists that are on here. Um, you have Jay O'Brien, Isaac Ratcliffe above him. Uh, Lindblom obviously got time with the Flyers last year. You have him ranked seventh on your list. So why are you so different from everybody else? Well, it certainly is not a a reflection of me thinking negatively about Oscar Lindblom. Instead, it is more a reflection of how highly I feel about Jay O'Brien and Isaac Ratcliffe. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I, I think that Oscar Lindblom's NHL upside is a bit capped uh, because he's he, he lacks a little bit of speed. Look, the Flyers, he was an absolute steal flyers where they drafted him in like the fifth or sixth round um you know he was drafted in the fifth round in 2014 and they took a shot at him he was not a great skater at the time uh but they projected him as someone who if he could improve his skating kind of like what we talked about with matthew strome if he could uh improve his skating the skills were there for him to become a a good nhl player and oscar lindblom really improved his skating and you know, he had one of the best seasons in the history of the Swedish Hockey League for a player, I think, under 21 years old. If you look at the, the numbers, EliteProspects.com has some really good numbers where you can compare that. And he had a phenomenal season over there. He came over to, uh, you know, it's North America, played for the Phantoms about half of last season, and the Flyers brought him up. Um, and, you know, he was snake bit early on. Uh, it was unbelievable how snake bit he was. And then he scored the first goal, and then he kind of wore down towards the end of the season. You can see he is a very smart hockey player. He's got great hands around the net. He's a very good finisher. But he he doesn't have the – I don't think he has the explosive skating or playmaking ability that Jay O'Brien does. I mean, look, I love Jay O'Brien. I, we'll talk about him a little bit later when we get to the World Junior uh, summer showcase but by the end of that thing he was arguably the most impactful player for for the u.s team um and he's a guy who i honestly think could develop into a jeremy ronick type of player so i am very high on jay o'brien and i'm very high on isaac ratcliffe look isaac ratcliffe was one of the leading goal scorers in the ohl last year um as a uh, as an 18 year old I mean, he scored 41 goals in the OHL as an 18-year-old as a 6'5 guy. Those, the bigger guys, those tall guys, typically take a while to come into their skill set. And he really figured it out last year with 41 goals in 67 games. He's already been named the captain for Guelph. He was awesome at development camp. I just, I think Oscar Rat, or Isaac Ratcliffe's ceiling is, I think he could be a first-line NHL forward. Um, I think he could be a 30-goal scorer in the NHL, and he's also good defensively. He's a very smart player. So to me, the upsides that Jay O'Brien and Isaac Ratcliffe have put them, for me, ahead of Oscar Lindblom because right now I think Oscar Lindblom's ceiling is probably middle six NHL forward, whereas I think those guys' ceilings is top six NHL forward. That would be interesting to hear 
what Alex thinks about that. Um, from my perspective, I mean, in terms of upside, I absolutely agree. I think Ratcliffe and O'Brien have a higher offensive upside. I think for me, in terms of their realistic upside, where you look at the skill sets and the points they've scored at the levels they've scored them at so far in their careers, I think it is realistic to say that if these guys hit, they could be 60-point forwards. And, you know, a 60-point forward in today's NHL is a, is a good first-line winger. With Lindblom, I don't see his upside being quite that high from an offensive standpoint. In terms of what he did in the SAL, you know, the, the fifth most points in a season for a player under the age of 21, the only players with more, Elias Peterson, Kent Nielsen, uh, David Rundblad, uh, crazily enough amongst those names, Peter Falsberg <laughs> and Kent Nielsen. You know, they're the kind of guys he's on, on, this, on a similar tier with age. Obviously, he's not, he doesn't have the, the skill sets that some of them have, but whatever he does, he's very effective there. His IQ is very high. And from a defensive standpoint, I mean, you saw him in the NHL last year when you look at the underlying numbers. There's an argument to be made that from the moment he came onto the team, he was the Flyers up there amongst the Flyers' best defensive wingers alongside like Michael Raffle um, from a pure defensive standpoint. And it takes something quite special from a defensive IQ at the age of 20 to come and do that. So that's where I had him slightly ahead simply because I feel his absolute floor right now is probably, you know, a 30, 35 point, very good third line winger in the NHL. And his kind of ceiling is a fantastic two-way complementary first line slash second line winger. So when I tried to balance that out, that was how I came with him above them, simply because, you know, a bird in hand is better than two in the bush, as you say, and he's very, very close to, you know, within a, two, within a couple of years being that kind of player. You know, you look at the comparables from my perspective, uh, players with a similar skill set, uh, the same nationality, I would put... Um, uh, Johan Franson uh, from Detroit Red Wings up there and uh, Patrick Hornquist. I mean, neither of these guys are the greatest skaters, but they know where to be on ice. They're good defensively and um, fantastic around the boards in the corners in front of the net. And I think if you can blossom into that kind of player, um, he'll be a very, very valuable player, even if he is 45, 50 point winger. For the same reason, someone like Sean Couturier was so, so valuable the last two years, but has now um, catapulted himself upwards simply because of the two-way game and how developed he is overall. Another name that's uh, standing out to me on all the lists, uh, really your two in uh, specifically, is a name that I see a lot on Twitter, fans bringing him up. Uh, maybe not talked about as much. Uh, Dan, you have him ranked ninth on your list. Alex, 14th on yours. Of course, it's Nicholas Albe-Kubel. Um Dan, what, I'll start with you on this one, and then you can give it to Alex afterwards. Uh, what, in your eyes, makes him a top 10 prospect in the Flyer system? Yeah, I mean, I have Nicholas Aube-Kubel higher than everyone else. I have him a lot higher than Corey Prodman. Was ridiculous. Corey Prodman's got him 22nd. I mean, yeah, I don't know if he just so... doesn't know who he is or, or what, but, you know... Um, Alex has got him 14th, and Charlie's got him t uh, 11th. So I've got him 9th. So I had him higher than everyone else. So if, if this was, you know, like a, a baseball or fan or, or football fantasy draft, I would, people would refer, or I would refer to Nicholas Albuquerque as like a post-hype sleeper. There's not really a lot of hype, uh, you know, in NHL for second-round picks. But Nicholas Albuquerque was a second-round pick in 2014, and he then proceeded to score 38 goals in two straight seasons in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, which is pretty good. Now, most 
a lot of players, you know, have difficult adjustments uh, when they turn pro. And that the same thing happened to, to Albe Kubel. I mean, last year or two years ago, 2016, 2017 was his first year uh, in the AHL and he struggled. I mean, he only had 18 points in 71 games. A lot of people kind of forgot about him. And then he got a lot more comfortable this year. So this year is a 21-year-old in the AHL. Nicholas Abu-Kubel was sixth in the entire AHL in even strength points. And that's important because he's probably not going to be on the Flyers' power play now, tomorrow, or five years from now, right? The Flyers have so much depth in terms of high-end offense that he's he's probably not going to be on the power play. So that's why I'm very excited by the fact that he was sixth in the entire AHL in even strength points as a 21-year-old. He put up 46 points in 72 games. Uh, he played with an edge. He was suspended three times, which some people are, are concerned about. I don't really care at all. I'm sure once he gets to the NHL, he will tone it down a little bit. I think Flyers fans are going to like the fact that he plays with an edge. So to me, I see a former second-round pick who is a very good scorer in the Canadian juniors, who in only his second year in the AHL was one of the best even-strength players in the league. And I don't see what there is not to like about Nicholas Aoue-Kubel. He's, he's a very good – he's got a great shot. I mean, he's the kind of guy who can pick a corner. He's not a you know high-volume sniper, but he is a sniper. You watch him shoot, and this he can freaking score. He's also can stick handle. So he's actually – if you put a gun to my head, he would be the fla- the phantom from last year who I think has the best chance to start the season with the Flyers, especially because of that even strength stuff. You could put him on the fourth line. You could put him on the third line. Probably not the third line barring an injury, but you put him on the fourth line, and he's not going to hurt you um, defensively, and he's going to chip in some goals. So I see Albe Kubel as a very good part of a third or fourth line uh for the Flyers moving forward, and I really like him. Um, all right, so I'm looking at these lists. And... Well, I want to hear what, what Alex oh, right. thinks about Alex. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I mean, the only reason I have him as low as 14th, quite frankly, is because of the quality of the prospects above him. I mean, for me, his upside is a very, very good third-line winger, or kind of the third wheel, so to call it, on a, a good second line, even strength. And when it came to ranking players, it was... I mean, I, th- I had him, Vorobiev, and Lashinsky in kind of the same bracket in terms of I don't think these guys are very likely to become second-line level players, but they're very, very good players. Good defensively. Um, strong around the boards. They have everything you really want in a modern NHL player for, in a third-line role. And uh, so I had those in kind of the same tier, and it was the fact that I think Vorobiev's a bit closer to the kind of what where he should be overall i think his defensive game is fantastic and he came over to the phantoms and hit the ground running and what lashinsky did last year i felt massively went under the radar he was far and away his team's best player and if he can do the same next year i think he'll be in the running for the hobie baker and above him i had rubsov simply because he didn't have a fantastic season last year but i do still think german rubsov has second line upside so that was why he was ahead so yeah i mean nicholas Cabell in almost any other season in Flyers history would probably be a top 10 prospect, but the depth is so much right now that a guy who's very close to the NHL, a fantastic even strength scorer, fast with a good shot and gritty. Um, that's why he's so low on the list. I mean, the only thing I can kind of knock him for is 
his hockey IQ isn't as high as, say, guys like Vorobiev, Lashinsky, and Rupsov. That's the only area where you think, like, you know, this could, kid could improve there. Steve Cornianos has, I'm looking at, he, he only has a top 10 that, that Dan put on the, on the spreadsheet here. And number eight is a little glaring to me. And I'm trying to figure out why number eight on Steve Cornianos' list is on the list at all. And he has Mike Vecchione as a top 10 Flyers prospect. Um, and he, this is ahead of guys like Felix Sandstrom, um, you know, Matthew Strom. Guys He's got that, him ahead of Ratcliffe and Allison. Right. So I don't know how this makes any sense. Um, the only other person that I've ever seen talk about Mike Vecchione is Kevin Fortier of Aphelius Flyer. <laughs> I don't get... Any kind of love for Mike Vecchione? Um, I under, yeah, I mean, he was a g- pretty good college player, but when he had his little run with the Flyers there at the end of what was it, two years ago, when he had his little run there, didn't show anything really that inspired a lot of hope. Kind of the same thing with the Phantoms. I don't see anything in Mike Vecchione that would even make me put him in top twenty, top fifteen, let alone top ten, and having him eighth over. Some of these other guys is a little, I mean, it's it's not a little, it's, it's very, it's head-scratching to me. I don't understand it at all because I don't really see Mike Vecchione as a high upside NHL player. And, I mean, you know, apparently he does, but that, that, I guess this is this is what's good about these lists. Everyone has their own opinion and we, we get to debate it, but that one I just, I think is so far out there that it just, it doesn't make any, the least bit of sense to me why he would have him there at all. I mean, I mean, look. I'm going to lump Steven with Corey to a certain extent because I think it's extremely difficult to have a job where you have to follow the prospects for every single team in the NHL, right? Like me and Alex and Charlie, we are so honed in on the Flyers prospects that we look at this and we kind of laugh, you know, it's like Vecchione's eighth. That's hilarious. We know that he doesn't really have an NHL future with the Flyers. Oh, Corey's got, uh, Anthony Stolarz ahead of Wade Allison and Nicholas Aue Kubel. Like, really? Ahead of, oh, wow. I didn't you know, even he's, see that he's, right now. He's got Pascal LaBerge ahead of Allison and Nicholas Aue Kubel. Like, these are, those are things where I look at it and I say, look, Corey and Steve do a great job covering the NHL on a national basis, but you simply cannot. There's not enough time in the day for them to really cover and scout every single player in the NHL. And I just say, you know what? Uh, I, you know, I just kind of ignore it, basically. I mean, yeah, you're right to an extent, but something that egregious is, I mean, I I just don't see how you put that out there, how you write that down, send it out for people to read with, and, and, and expect to be taken seriously. But it's, you know, whatever. It's neither here nor there. Um, Dan, I know you wanted to get, you wanted to touch on the, uh, World Junior Championship Summer Showcase. Did I get that right? Um, there was a lot of, you know, obviously, a ton of Flyers prospects were in there. Who stood out to you the most? Who played the best? I know you were gushing over guys like Joel Farabee and Jay O'Brien. I know how much you love them both, um, and I saw how much you were talking about them on Twitter. You don't have enough nice things to say about these two guys. So which one played better than the other? And it, is it even, I mean, is it, is it close? How how good were these guys in this tournament? Okay, so I need to preface this by by saying 
that you need to take this with a grain of salt because it's it's four games in the middle of the summer, you know, with players that have recently concluded a long season and they they some of them just went through the draft and they're you know who knows what's going on they're you know worn out and um that being said i do like any opportunity i can have to evaluate a player when they're playing against their peers especially in a setting like this because these guys are trying to make the world junior championships team and like it or not this four game trial has a lot to do with who is selected for these teams. So you take it with a grain of salt on one hand, but on the other hand, these guys are all have a lot at stake in this tournament. So anyway, from that, so first let me start with the guys who are extremely impressive. And and those were the U, the U.S. guys. So the Flyers' first, uh, first round picks this year, Joel Farabee and Jay O'Brien, were both extremely impressive. And, you know, Farabee was probably... I'd say Quinn Hughes was probably the best player for the U.S. team, the defenseman who was uh, drafted by Vancouver. I think that's going to be a steal for them. And his brother, Jack Hughes, who's going to be the number one pick in the NHL draft. Those two guys are the two best players on Team USA. But Joel Farabee, to me, was a clear-cut third-best player on the team, which is saying a lot because you had guys like Brady Kachuk, who was taken fourth overall, and Oliver Wallstrom, who was taken, I don't know what, 10th or 11th, who were, you know, rated more highly than Farabee by almost every prognosticator out there. And, you know, again, you take it with a grain of salt, but Joel Farabee competes hard on every shift. His hockey sense is incredible. He makes little plays that are comparable. I compare it to what guys like Giroux and Simone Gagne do. So smart out there. Always makes the right play. He can snipe. He's... His motor's running on every shift. So I thought he was far and away USA's third best player. Jay O'Brien is an interesting case because he played in high school most of the year. So you would figure it would take him a little longer to acclimate to playing with players of, of this talent level who were all trying for the World Juniors. He was a little bit tentative and awkward his first few games. But at USA's final game against Canada, he was their best player. He scored two goals. He ran over defensemen in the offensive zone. He was creating offense. He looked like Jeremy Roenick out there, or Matthew Barzal, the way that he was playing in the final game, which was against Canada, by the way. Um, so Fairbeat was great the whole tournament. O'Brien turned it on in that final game against Canada and looked great. Those two guys looked great. The other Flyers prospect who looked really good was Adam Ginning, the second-round pick. Um, who's a big, strong defenseman. A lot of fans didn't like the pick. He's kind of like a defensive defenseman. He's the opposite of, of Linus Hoberg. He, he maybe doesn't fit into today's NHL, um, but he, he was very good. He defended well. He knocked uh, Brady Kachuk off the puck a couple times. He knocked Jack Hughes on his ass in front of the net, which I love to see. And so I thought Adam Yinning was very impressive. The guys that were not impressive, unfortunately, were Morgan Frost and Isaac Radcliffe. They just never got going, partly due to the fact that they kept moving up and down the lineup. But Morgan Frost looked tentative, and he, he looked a little awkward out there. It was certainly not his best three- or four-game stretch, and he would agree with that. I'm sure he's going to come to Flyers camp with even more motivation now. Um, Isaac Radcliffe didn't get a lot of time. He looked okay when he was out there, but he didn't do anything special. So the Canadian guys were the ones who weren't quite as good. But, man, Farabee and O'Brien 
the Flyers look like they've got two very talented hockey players with those two guys. I would say the same as you, Dan, in terms of I do generally feel that people overstate the importance of short-term international junior tournaments. You see the amount written about the clinker, about the world juniors, about the summer showcase. You know, people move people up and down prospect lists based on samples of three and four games against their peers. And I don't think you can draw actually that much in terms of what their potential is, where they are in the development right now. A full season uh, and their accumulated body of work over the last few years is the best way personally i feel but i mean from a skill set perspective it can be useful in terms of you're playing against the best players of the age group uh you can see what they have to offer in terms of a skill set and i think you're right in that i thought joel farabee was fantastic i mean i was quite vocal before the draft that i thought farabee or Kraftsov would be the best case plausible scenario for the players and i was extremely happy when farabee fell to them because he's a complete winger it's quite rare you see a Kid his age, he's that cerebral, he's skilled, he knows how to score, also fantastic defensively, a good four-checker. You know, he played with Jack Hughes a lot, and a lot of the time you were looking at Joel Farabee instead of Jack Hughes, and Jack Hughes is a very special player. Um, Alongside him, I thought um, two players who, aside from the ones you mentioned, I thought Noah Cates at times really stood out. Uh, He held his own um, with some of the best prospects in the world, showed he belonged with that caliber of player. Showed his versatility, you know, got some power play two time, was very good on the uh, PK and also showed his hands with that ridiculous through the legs goal versus Canada. And I think his summer showcase could really put him in real contention for a world juniors uh, spot. And alongside him, uh, Ole Lixell, he was in, in for Sweden. I mean, he was really, you know, a late riser in the draft. I mean, a lot of people really didn't know about him before the draft. And over the last year, his stock has risen enormously. He Got time in the SAL with Linchopping and showed there he can play against some very good players. He plays a pro-style game already. He's good at both ends. And he showed during that um, tournament against some of the best players his age in the world. He's skating, he's shot, his zone entries are fantastic. And I think he's pretty much punched his spot on a World Juniors team bar an injury. And he's going to be playing in a SAL top nine this season as well. Um, so, uh, Alex, let me, let me throw this at you because there's a... A lot of guys that have been talked about on this episode, other episodes, not only from us, but all over the place. And we know the main guys. We know the guys that are talked about all the time, the guys that we perceive to be, uh, you know, that will help the Flyers in a few years really start to compete for Stanley Cups. But there's there's one guy that stands out to me as the main guy that's kind of on the outside looking in, and to me that's Sam Moran. I've brought him up before. Um, I just think for how for when he was drafted, as many years ago as this point as he was drafted, and still has not yet to make a big impact on the Flyers, hasn't really, you know, has had very limited time with the NHL team that drafted him. And given his injury history, his style of play that isn't that conducive to the to this day's NHL game, um, do you see him as that same kind of, you know, on the outside looking in kind of the numbers aren't really on his side, and who are other who are some other guys that are kind of in that same boat as Sam Moran? I mean, with Moran, I, I, I still I wouldn't say rate him enormously highly, but I still think that after Myers, he's the Flyers' second best defensive prospect, considering that Sanheim is now graduated. Um, I mean, you have Robert Hegg, who played the whole season last year in the NHL, and I think all the evidence would point to Sam Moran being a better player than him. They played together in the AHL, and Moran was better there offensively. He was better there defensively. He's a better skater. 
he's got a better outlet pass. Um, I think he's been very unfortunate in terms of the timing of his injuries. I think he does have an NHL future, but the problem might be that simply it won't be with the Flyers. Um, and I mean, personally, I would have him in the lineup instead of Robert Hegg to start the season if he was capable of playing. But um, unfortunately, that's not the case. Right. Yeah, that was. Some, I'm glad you brought that up because that was the the one player on Alex's list that I was like, wow, he's got Sam Moran really high on his list. And I I don't disagree that you know Moran, he's he's a great skater. Uh, he shows flashes of offensive ability. He's very tough and tenacious in the defensive zone. But it just seems to me like I don't know what his future is like with this team. And I, I feel like part of the reason they drafted Adam Yinning in the second round was because he plays a similar style to Sam Moran. At this point, they've just kind of not maybe not given up, but they're just not moving forward, assuming that Moran is going to be part of their plans. Um so that was the one guy on Alex's list that I was surprised at how high he was, but I do agree that, you know, he still has the potential to, to become a, a pretty good NHL defenseman. It just might not be with the Flyers. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, right now in terms of what he showed in the AHL and what other defensemen showed in the AHL, I think he could probably step into an NHL lineup right now as a number five defenseman and do a really good job. Um, you know, last year in the AHL, he was pretty fantastic in the games he did play um he showed his offensive upside he was brilliant defensively uh it's really tough luck that the injuries occurred at the timing they did because i think they were quite frankly just the worst time possible for him just as he gets his recall and then yeah to wipe out the start of another season yeah it's really it's a shame you know kind of how his career has gone to this point you hope the best for him but you know you get these guys every now and then in every sport that just can't stay healthy for whatever reason you know you know if it's bad luck or if it's just the makeup of their body but right now Sam Moran's definitely uh fall victim to the injury bug for most of his career so one one final thing before we you know kind of give our closing thoughts and everything like that and Alex I'll start with you um of all the players that you have on your list of all the players that you've seen in the Flyers system um who is a guy that you would predict makes the biggest strides from where they are currently to you know, next next off season around this time, who's a guy that you really see that could excel and take his game to the next level and really rise on a lot of these lists that we're looking at? I mean, in terms of the prospect rankings, I would say the the two players I can see rocketing up the list as you would call it most. I think Kira Lustomenko, the Russian goalie, has a fantastic chance this season to really show himself as a, an elite goaltending prospect and put himself in kind of, you know, the Sandstrom tier of upside. He's going to be playing in the VHL this year, most likely, uh, the second tier of Russian hockey against men. And in terms of, you know, the Russia just played a Four Nations tournament where he went um, and was the second goalkeeper behind uh, Tarasov, the Columbus prospect. But I think he has a poten the potential to win the starting job for Russia at the World Juniors. And going off his... MHL Junior League uh, statistics and his athletic ability. I think he's one of those guys who, with a good season in the VHL and a solid World Juniors, he could really announce himself and, you know, be started to talk about as a potential kind of in that 10th best flyers prospect here. And another guy is Noah Cates. I mean, I think his season last year was slightly underappreciated, mainly, maybe even by me myself. Uh, you know, he's, he's got a lot of skill. He's got good size. He's got speed. 
He's got a chance to play at the World Juniors. And I mean, when you look at the USHL, the USHL is a very low-scoring league. You can't really compare the figures in that league to the WHL, the QMJHL, and the OHL because it, scoring is suppressed. But if you look at what he did in the final three quarters of his season, you know, he had a really slow start in the USHL. Two goals, five points in his first 13 games. But in the final 47 games of the regular season, he put up 19 goals and 50 points. You know, scoring uh, over a point per game in the USHL, I mean, it's obviously a sample of his season. But being able to score at that rate as a draft plus one player in the US USHL is impressive. And he's got a chance to show himself in the NCAA this year. And with a good NCAA season and making the World Juniors, I think he could really, really rock it up people's lists. Dan, how about you? So I'm going to also start out with a goalie. And he's one of my favorite goalie prospects out there but he had a ton of injuries last season, or, or at least one major injury, which is uh, basically cost him the entire season, and that's Felix Sandstrom. I had him 12th on my list. Um, you know, two years ago, I was probably the only person on planet Earth that had him ranked ahead of Carter Hart, actually a year ago, um, going into last season, because I'm just always so impressed with Sandstrom's poison net and his athleticism. I just am a big believer in his toolbox and his skill set. I think he could be a very, very good NHL goalie. So I had him 12th. I'm hoping that he can be healthy this year in the uh, in the in the Swedish Hockey League and become you know sort of like you know what Carter Hart is going into this year, but for next year. So the idea is that Sandstrom hopefully will have a big season and he will. Uh, come overseas next year and, and be with the Phantoms or the Flyers. So he's a guy I'm really hoping has a huge season. And, you know, the other guy that I would go with is a defenseman in college is Wyatt Kalanuk, who I had 20th on my list. The Flyers drafted him as a bit of an overage, or they drafted him as a 20-year-old defenseman. He was, I think last year, he was one of the best defensemen in the NCAA, which even though he was a overage freshman, I still think, that it's very impressive your first year in college to be that good. He put up 25 points in 37 games. He had a couple end-to-end -end rushes where he looked like Bobby Orr, and he's kind of known for doing that. I think he's got a lot of offensive upside. He's going to be going back to the University of Wisconsin for another year. I think he's going to have a very good season, and I think he could be a dark horse for the Hobie Baker potential. Potentially. So I think that Wyatt Kalanuck is probably going to kind of really rocket up the charts and hopefully Felix Sandstrom as well. But the Flyers really do have so many guys that, you know, that that could be rocketing up the charts. Like as, as you know, as Alex mentioned, Noah Cates, uh, you know, we talked about Lena Sogberg, um, Oli Lexell. There's just so many guys. Yeah, I mean, look. This has been great stuff from both of you. This is, I mean, this is why we do this because we want to inform everybody. And I wanted to dive into guys that the fans probably haven't heard much about. And I think you guys did a great job touching on, you know, some some of these outside guys. I mean, we all know the we all know the big guys. We all know Hart, Frost, Myers, Farabee. You know, we all know these guys. We've all followed them. You know, everybody already loves these guys. And a lot of a lot of fans haven't even been able to watch them yet. So I wanted to really look at the guys that aren't talked about as much because all you keep hearing about is how deep the Flyers prospect pool is. And when you get outside that top five, you know, there's a lot of talent outside of that top five that people don't know much about. So you guys did a fantastic job of really educating me and everybody else listening to this. 
and it, it's been a lot of fun. So should, Alex, should we uh, go through some of the? Oh, that's questions? right. We have yeah. the, we have the questions. Dan's mailbag yeah, of we, questions. We, so why don't you go and some... fire those out there? All right. So let's see. Let's go through some of these. We'll try and rapid fire some of them. Okay. So uh, Jonathan Arbroto asks: Are the Flyers more hesitant as an organization to immediately put first round picks in the NHL? He says last he remembers, aside from Nolan Patrick, was Sean Couturier going straight to the NHL, and it feels like other first round picks on other teams start in the NHL. Uh, Alex, do you want to take that one? I would say in terms of first-round picks, they're probably right around league average. I mean, generally, you're only talking very, very high picks that make the NHL in the draft plus one season. It's rare you get you know, a guy like Patrice Bergeron coming in as a second-round pick and making the league. It's, it's just not very common. And, you know, Couturier and Patrick have really been the only high, elite talent kind of picks that they've had who are physically ready for the NHL. Um, so I think, I mean, there is, I feel like, some hesitancy within the organization not to wet players' feet until they're ready. Um, I think in some ways that's wise. But in terms of draft plus one guys, just not many of them make the league straight away anyway, unless they're, you know, the top five picks. And quite frankly, the Flyers don't have don't get many top five picks. Yep, yep. Um, Michael Clark asks, what would be considered good seasons for both Rupsov and LeBears this season on the Phantoms that'll be making their professional debuts. Not sure how they're going to get used, but I don't see either putting up a lot of points. So I've come out with the opinion that of all the new first-year professionals, I think that Carson Torensky is actually going to have the best season on the Phantoms. Uh, he, I think he scored 40-plus goals in the WHL last year and just physically i think he's the most ready to compete against professionals in the ahl i have major concerns about pascal LeBerge even being an impact player in the ahl ever since that concussion he had he just hasn't been the same i wouldn't be surprised if he ends up seeing some time in the echl which is the level below the phantom so i mean i think consistent playing time would be a good season for LeBerge. Germán Rupsad is is a you know first round pick that the Flyers took who's has just came overseas and he was very good a couple of years ago in a late season stretch in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, uh, but he just didn't match that production last season. A lot of people want to make excuses for him. I don't see that many excuses. He still has a skill set. I thought he was very good in the World Junior Championships for Russia last year. I think he's going to have a rough transition to the professional game. I mean, he was averaging under a point a game in the uh, Canadian juniors. To put that in perspective, guys, we just drafted this year, like Ratcliffe and Strom and Sushko, all averaged more points than Rupsov. And Rupsov was drafted in the first round the year before. So he had a very disappointing season. I think that he's going to struggle with the Phantoms this year. I would say a successful season. I think if Rupsov puts up 25 points for the Phantoms, in 70 games or so, I would see that as a successful season for him. Um, this one, the next question is I want to get Alex's take on because I have this guy a little bit lower than Alex and Charlie. Of course, he's got him really low. I don't agree with that. But so Alex Ettinger asks thoughts on Wade Allison and why he may have been so far down Corey's list compared to other evaluators and just interested in Alex's thoughts on Wade Allison. I mean, the one thing you really can't hold against Wade Allison is his hockey IQ. When you watch him play the game, he has a fantastic skill set. He's a good skater, amazing shot, gritty, gets to the net. 
likes to hit solid defensively when he when he's back there. But I mean, he's a kind of straight line player. You know, he gets to the net, he shoots. He's a, I mean, he's a shoot first player, which a lot of players fans have been yearning for for years. But I mean, that is the one big knock against his game that you know he's not. Say for example, there's another player similar age in college hockey, Tanner Lashinsky. You watch him play. And you can see the IQ. You can see he knows what's developing. You can see he knows where everyone is on the ice and the spaces to get to. And at times, Wade Allison does not display that, irregardless of how physically talented he is and the skill set he has. I mean, from a skill set perspective, I think there's a legitimate point to be made that he could have, you know, 55, 60 point upside as a winger and be a 30 goal scorer. But it's a matter of at the NHL, is his hockey IQ going to be high enough to be able to get into the situations where he can use that skill set, where he can use that physicality? Um, I'm really interested to see what happens with Wade Allison. I think I have him a little bit lower than others simply because I, I haven't seen him quite as much and I haven't been blown away when I have watched him, but, um, I'm trying to find Robert Wilson. Who's, Oh, here we go. Okay. I found his question. So here's Robert Wilson. We'll try and take some of these. Okay. Vorobiev, we kind of already talked about, I'd like to see him make the team. Um, Morgan Frost, you know, we, we talked about, I think he's probably going to go back to the OHL for another year. A- Alex, what do you think he's going to be back in the OHL or do you think he makes the I think I think it's most likely he's back in the um, OHL. I mean, I think he's skilled enough to play in the NHL and I think he could hold his own in the NHL. But I think unless he comes in and blows away camp this in the way that Travis Kinect needed a few years ago, he, he won't make the league and he'll be back in the OHL. Yeah. Um, and he asked about Albie Kubel, and he shot at the Flyers. We covered him. I, I think he does have a shot. And then he asked about Carter Hart, if he gets called up, if both Elliot and Neuwirth are hurt. So I think that if Carter Hart plays very well in the AHL and the Flyers are in a playoff spot and they are in desperate need of a goalie to come up, I think that they will consider bringing Carter Hart up. I think that if he struggles in the AHL, I doubt that they bring him up. But – most people, a lot of people are saying, oh, we're not going to see him in the NHL for a couple of years. I think that the Flyers will let him dictate when he's ready. And if he dominates in the AHL, I think we could see him if there are injuries. Alex, what do you think? I think it's plausible that he sees an NH- a few NHL games this season, but it's all dependent on obviously the Flyers situation with goalies. I mean, right now they have three guys who are not waiver eligible in Elliot, Neuwirth, and Lyon. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, obviously, in the the preseason. But, I mean, the I mean, if, if he can show in the AHL that he's an AHL all-star caliber goalie in his first season and a goalie goes down injured, it, it's not beyond belief that the Flyers could put him in at that level. I think he's he's got he's shown with what he's done in the um, WHL and with World Juniors that he's an elite goalie ta- goaltending talent. I mean, it's very difficult for me to put him outside the kind of top three prospects in the world right now in terms of netminders, and he's the best North American netminding prospect in in some time. So I think it's it's plausible that he does play in the NHL this year, even if I think it's more likely that he doesn't. Um, Mark, I know we're going a bit long, but I feel like we got to give you a chance here to talk about your man who we didn't talk about, who Corey Promet has got number one on the mm-hmm. Flyers list. Uh, you're the head of his fan club. What, talk a little about Philippe Myers. Well, I mean, there's I, what, what what's, I don't li- I don't like any I don't not like anything about his game. I think that he there's a reason why he's the best Flyers defensive prospect out there. I mean, he the way that he handles the puck, his skating ability, his offensive prowess is 
it's something to really behold. Every time I've seen him play, you know, I've, when I've seen him down at the development camp, and uh, the you know, the guy just knows. You know, he knows exactly what to do with the puck when he gets it. He has tremendous vision on the ice. Um, you know, a, another knock on him, well, not another, but one of the biggest knocks on him of the few is his ability to stay healthy. We mentioned the same thing with Sam Moran. He's had problems, you know, staying healthy himself. I think this is a big season for him with the Phantoms. If he could stay healthy, because when he came back from injury last year and in the playoffs, he was as good as anybody on the ice that they played against and in the AHL playoffs as a whole. He was an Ironman workhorse in that long uh, overtime game. What was that, like five, six overtimes that they had or whatever it was? Um, He played the most minutes of anybody in that game, and that is such a useful tool when you're talking about an NHL caliber defenseman. You need those guys, much like Ivan Provorov, that you could just pile the minutes on and it doesn't affect them. They can take the big workload and they can still perform at a high level from minute one to whatever their final minute is in that game. They, you need those guys in playoff series, in you know late in the season, guys that you could just, when everyone else is shutting down when they're fatigued you had you need guys like that that you could go to and still play at a high level Phil, Philip Myers when when he's healthy and he and when the Flyers eventually get him on the roster and I would love to see him make the roster out of camp but I think again there's a bit of a numbers game that probably work won't work out in his favor unless he comes into camp and in the preseason and absolutely dazzles I think he'll start the season with the Phantoms um but, you know, again, Sam Moran is out for an extended period of time, so it really is going to give Phil Myers full range to just go out and impress. And if there's an injury to, you know, one of the defensemen that the Flyers are going to have on their roster, Phil Myers is more than likely the guy that comes up and fills that roster spot. I don't know how much playing time he would get because we know Dave Haxtall, how he handles these young guys. Um, you know, if he came up, maybe he would get into a few games but I don't trust Dave Haxall from from that aspect. But Philip Myers, I I just absolutely love the guy. There's nothing I love more than a defenseman that can fire the puck and can score goals and create offense. And Philip Myers is absolutely that guy, and he is going to be stellar for the Flyers when they finally give him the chance to be. You said it all, man. <laughs> well, it's he's he's easy to talk about. I mean. He, Anybody, even if you've never watched, you know, hockey before, you you would know a guy like Philip Myers, how much better he is than a lot of the other guys that he's playing around, especially at his position. So I can't wait for him to, you know, just come up here and start producing at this level with the Flyers. And it's going to be really exciting. Was that all the questions? Or do you have more in there? Uh, I have a question. I want to hear Alex talk about. David Cachet, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, because I know that he's been a personal favorite of his for a little while, and I may get his thoughts on him. Well, with David Cachet, um, yeah, I've, I've liked him before the players drafted him. I he was a potential late first round, early second round talent in his draft year. He, he was always fantastic for the Czechs. He was brilliant in junior hockey. Um, and he's a guy that you can't help but root for in terms of the way he plays the game. He's Chitty, gritty, he goes to the dirty areas, even though he's not the biggest guy. He doesn't shirk his different responsibilities. He's got a lot of skill. 
And I mean, his season last year in the SAL, I think, flew under the radar in terms of what he actually did. He went to a league that was better than the league he'd been playing in, in terms of the Czech Extra Liga. And he was fantastic. Um, he was his team's best player. Moro were not a good team at all. One of the worst teams in the league. And he managed to be their top scorer with uh, 23 points in 44 games and then three points in five games in the relegation playoffs. He uh, continually cropped in key situations for them. He was their go-to guy, and he played really, really well uh, in a very good league. And he's coming to the AHL this season, and obviously that Phantom team is very deep. I see kind of being in that middle and being a really, really good even-strength presence for him. I mean, in terms of comparisons, his big brother, Andre Cachet, uh, plays for Anaheim, and very similar players in some regards. Andre's a bit bigger than him, and I would argue that David is David Cachet is slightly more skilled, uh, but they're quite similar players. And I think down the line, if he can transfer the game he had this year in Sweden to the AHL, he can be a legitimate kind of potential third-line player, a very good third-line player in the NHL. All right, Dan. Um, final thoughts on everything we've talked about, everything, you know, something that maybe we forgot that you wanted to touch on briefly, kind of give, um, you know, people something, you know, a little nugget to take home with them. Here's what I would say is that because the Flyers have the deepest prospect pool in all of hockey, and even Corey Pronman, who, who rated us 12th overall, said that the Flyers have the deepest prospect pool, I, I think that there's going to come a time here somewhat soon in the next few years where Ron Hextall is going to be able to pick, pick and choose which prospects he wants to keep and then use some of these other prospects who are very good to, to trade for even better players. So you know, there's all these deals that go down at the trade deadline from teams that believe they have a legitimate chance to win the Stanley Cup, and you can get some players. Well, like the Flyers don't, especially at the forward spot, they don't have enough spots for all of these prospects. I mean, you're talking about you've got Morgan Frost, Joel Fair, Jay O'Brien, Isaac Ratcliffe, Oscar Lindblom, Farobin, Albeck, and Germán Rupsov, Tanner Lizzi, um Matthew Stroh, Matthew Chusko. You you're talking about 10 guys who are almost assuredly going to be NHL players. And then another five to seven who have a decent chance to be NHL players. They all can't make the team because you still have Couturier, Drew, Bush, uh, GVR, Konechny. Um, so these guys are not all going to be on the team. So at some point, Ron Hextall is going to be forced to trade some of them. And he's going to be able to get a pretty good return. So I think part of the key is not only what the Flyers prospect pool is, but how that strength is going to translate into a good veterans who can put this team over the top when it comes time to really make a Stanley Cup push. So that's what I'm also very excited about. I would say similar. I mean, you can see the depth of the pool similar to the fact that you have guys like Kate, uh, Samuel Eshon, and... Um, all three of those guys might be at the World Juniors over Christmas. It's a distinct possibility. And yet none of them will be a consideration for the Flyers' kind of top 25 prospects, maybe apart from Cates, who's around on that course. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the measure of the depth. It's, it's ridiculously deep pool. Yeah, this is, I mean, we talked about this all summer, me and Dan. It seems like every episode we put out during the summer is about prospects because 
People love hearing about it. We love talking about it. Dan knows about as much as anybody can know about it. And then we get awesome guys like Alex on here to talk, to give their two cents about what they know. Um, just to echo kind of what Dan said, and just looking ahead to this season when you're talking about trading some of these prospects that you have and getting a good return for them, uh, there's two guys that are going to be free agents next offseason that we've talked about in previous episodes that I'll probably be talking about a lot during the season, and the Flyers play and how their season goes will dictate how strongly I feel about making a move for either Artemi Panarin or Tyler Sagan at the deadline. If the Flyers are having a good season, if they, you know, if they're on the cusp of the playoffs or if they're strong, if they're in the playoffs by a lot and they're having a really strong season, then I'm pulling the trigger and I'm, you know, starting to get rid of some of these prospects and I'm going to get one of those guys in here and better this team, have a strong, finally have a really strong playoff push this off or this season. And then it just gets them in here. It gets them acclimated with the team, with the city, with the fans. And you have such a higher level of likelihood of signing one of these guys in the off season. Cause the flyers are going to have the money to bring in one of these guys. And if you can get a head start on the competition, why not do it? A lot of things are going to go into a move like that. Obviously, how the Flyers play will go into that, how the Stars are playing, how Columbus is playing, their level of interest in re-signing that player at the end of, you know, in the offseason has a lot to do with that. Um, so there's a lot of stars that have to align for something like that to happen. But if if it's a possibility, if I'm Ron Hexall, I'm pulling the trigger it, and I'm, I'm making it happen because getting one of those guys in here will excite the fan base, will excite the team. It's going to show both of those parties that they, that they're really going for this. And if they're on the cusp, if they believe they can make a strong push in the playoffs and for the Stanley Cup, then you're showing your fans that we're going for it. And with these, this is the fruit of all of the all of this excellent drafting that Ron Hexall has done since he's come in here. And if he can get a Sagan or a Panarin in here, that would that would really set the Flyers ahead and give them a kick in the ass towards becoming a legit Stanley Cup contender. So that's that's what I say. Just picking backing off of Dan, um, Alex. Again, can't thank you enough for doing this. If the fine people, the fine Flyers fans that listen to this podcast, wanted to read everything that you have to say, obviously uh, Dan touched on it earlier. The Athletic is a tremendous website. I finally got the membership this past week when I knew Alex was coming on because I wanted to see what it was all about. Kept hearing about The Athletic, The Athletic, how it's changing the game of sports coverage. And now that I've had a week with the membership and I'm reading all this stuff, it really is the future of, you know, covering sports. And Alex is, you know, on the ground floor of it. So, you know, kind of talk about The Athletic, talk about, you know, why it's so much better, why it's head and shoulders above whatever what else is doing right now. Uh, I mean, in terms of the Olympic, um personally, I've never been someone who's kind of, you know, been into kind of being a subscription service for anything. Um, for the standards of journalism, articles they put out, I mean, the ultimate praise I can give it is, in general, the articles in The Athletic, especially the hockey, which I read most, is kind of articles that I want to read. And I want to write the kind of articles that I want to read. In at the athletic, and that allows me to do that. You know, this week um, I have a Swedish prospect article coming out, 
I mean, that's probably going to be about 5,000 words just on the prospects in Sweden. There are very few platforms where you'd be kind of able to do that and able to give depth of content and the depth of story and kind of a very immersive uh, article, and that's really it. I enjoy writing for them and enjoy reading. And um, just real quick, what's what, what's your Twitter handle? Where can they see your thoughts and you know get the quick, easy links to your article? Uh, in terms of Twitter, my handle is uh, at av uh, appleyard. Uh, simple, um, and yeah, I generally have quite a bit about flyers. Put out links to the articles, uh, and there'll be a lot of uh, Swedish prospect updates this year as well. Because I'm um, currently in Denmark, and it's only a 40-minute journey over the bridge to Sweden. So I'll be watching quite a lot of Swedish junior hockey and uh, the SAL. I'll stand scan, keeping up with the prospect. Awesome. All right, Dan, you know the drill. Go ahead and give your uh, your plug for your articles. Phileas Flyer, the up-and-coming uh, Flyers blog that we obviously do this for and you write for, and your Twitter handle as well. Yeah, so uh, my Twitter handle is at dsilver88, and at phileasflyer.com. Uh, the most was my top 20 prospects list. And uh, I'll have some time in the next week or two work on Flyers State of the Union for the upcoming season. Uh, and so that's where you can find me. And I really want to thank Alex for coming on. I mean, he's uh, he's one of the top follows out there for Flyers fans, especially for, for getting overseas updates on all these prospects. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Look, all the thanks goes to you. Trust me. Um all right, as for me, obviously, you follow me on Twitter at MarkFlagman2 and follow this show at underscore GetBullied. Uh, we have a lot in the works coming up for this season. You know, we're really going to make a strong push to give you guys as much content as you can handle because once the season kicks off, I'm predicting a very exciting flyer season for everyone. Uh, so there's going to be a lot to talk about, and, you know, me and Dan – Obviously, we're going to do this every week as religiously as we possibly can with, you know, everything else going on in our lives. But we'll bring you all the covers that we can. Um, we're going to be, you know, bringing some other stuff, some more content and from different avenues uh, this off season, which will, or not this coming season, which we'll talk about in the coming weeks as the season gets closer. So there's going to be a lot to look forward to from the Getting Bullied podcast from phileasflyer.com. It's going to be a tremendous hockey season. Um, probably, and I think, you know, after this, we're going to start really getting into the thick of this. You know, we have training camp coming up in the next couple weeks. The season starts in, you know, a little over a month now. So there's a lot going on in the world of the NHL and the world of the Flyers as well. So until we do this again next time, thank you for listening. Thank you once again to Alex Appleyard. Thank you, as always, to Dan Silver. Let's go, Flyers.